Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. First for the podcast, this episode features two guests. Firstly, Hannah Salton, a recruiter turned careers coach for lawyers. And secondly, Jake Shogger, creator of the City Series Guides for Lawyers. We discuss their new partnership program for lawyers, tips for the application process and what recruiters look for throughout it all. Let's get into it. So, hi Jake, hi Hannah, thank you both for coming onto the show, I really appreciate it. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. It's great, I must admit this is my first time recording with two guests, <laughs> so <laughs> technical issues aside, I'm hoping that we'll, that means we'll get double the content and double the advice <laughs> today, uh, but no pressure. <laughs> and uh, I know it's great to have you both here um, together, as I know you've been running this kind of joint venture together in, in your kind of career and coaching for aspiring commercial lawyers, but we will get to that in uh, in due time, of course. So for those of you, uh, of listeners who may not have had an opportunity to uh, hear about you before, um, what was your sort of background into the profession and why you initially wanted to? join it sure um i'll go first so it's mm-hmm. kind here um so my background's in corporate graduate recruitment so i worked for eight years um uh, recruiting graduates into different sectors so the last role that i had was looking after trainee um, recruitment at allen and overy so i was there three years recruiting all of the trainee lawyers um, and people on the vacation scheme and I really loved a lot about my job. I loved the career element and the, the mentoring element and really decided that I wanted to, to do that full time. So mm. made the decision a little over three years ago to retrain and become a full time career coach. So mm. I've been doing that for the last few years and um, funnily enough, seem to attract lots of lawyers and uh, would be lawyers. Um, given given my um, background, so yeah. I work with graduates who are wanting to get a training contract and also career changes. So people that have been working for a few years and want to do something else but don't know what else they want to do. That's great. What about yourself, Jake? Um, I, yeah, I didn't have the most traditional route into law. I um, was originally absolutely certain being a world famous um, rock star. <laughs> spent, spent kind of the age of 18 to 23 in a band with a very small record deal, touring around the UK, driving our own post office van, but having an absolute time of my life. Um, our singer then quit. And we thought, well, let's go to university now, put our A levels to some use. I wanted to study business, but I combined it with law just because I thought that would make it more interesting. And law didn't involve numbers and the other options were kind of business with economics or finance or that kind of thing. Um, When I got to university, I decided to go to kind of all the different employer presentations, really try and keep my options open. And it was in those first couple of weeks where I started listening to law firms talk about the the commercial elements as well as the legal elements of the role. So... Mm. On that basis, I started going to open days and I applied for VAC schemes and did a few VAC schemes. And that's what kind of led me um, led me on the path to to taking on a training contract. That's really interesting. And uh, I wish I could sympathize with you when, you, when I said that you said <laughs> about, uh, you know, avoid doing maths, uh, sorry, doing law to avoid the math side of it. But as someone who's currently studying accounting on the LPC, <laughs> I know that I've run into that myself. So Yeah, there's a lot more than you realize. Same as I never thought I'd be buried in Excel so much, but that was quite a big part of the, uh, the training contract. But you, you learn these things. <laughs> 
absolutely. Um, and I can tell just by hearing your backgrounds how that could feed in so greatly to your ability to provide advice to students and to kind of draw on what you've known and to, and to provide that in this new um, joint venture, which we will get onto, I'm sure. Um, but just starting with Hannah quickly, you, you've talked a bit about there how you were working on, I guess, the other side of the training mm-hmm. contract application process for students. Um, you know, what is it like to be the one actually recruiting the candidates rather than the one pitching yourself to the mm-hmm. firm? And what kind of common you know, tips and advice or misconceptions would you would you give to students listening who are wanting to understand what it is a recruiter is really looking for in a candidate? Mm. So I I really loved working in graduate recruitment. There was, you know, it was a great buzz of, of working with students and visiting universities and everything like that. And I think definitely my first few years in graduate recruitment, it felt a bit of a relief to be on the other side of the table because mm. obviously when I left Manchester University, I, I went through the whole process of applying for graduate programmes, obviously getting rejections as is common uh, mm. for anyone applying for, for graduate programmes. Um, but yeah, I think it was it was quite a fast moving and exciting role to be in. But obviously there were there were lows as well as highs and mm. um, rejecting people, not offering people jobs, particularly if you built a relationship with them was 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 really challenging. Mm. Um, in terms of I mean, it's hard to kind of sum it up, really. I think mm. I get asked a lot of the time, you know, what's your one tip or, you know, what's the most important thing I can do with um, job applications? And, and I normally say that there isn't a silver bullet, you know, there's not one thing. But I think, honestly, practice is a hugely underrated thing to promote, whether it's um, presenting, whether it's interviewing, whether it's, you know, anything like that. I think generally the more we practice things, the better we become. And not many people like interviews. So many people that I work with think that they hate interviews more than anyone else or, you know, that they, they've had worse experiences. But I think generally interviews make people nervous. So I think that the more that you can practice in your own time with a friend, with a coach, uh, the more you can get a bit more comfortable talking about your experience without mm-hmm. scripting answers, um, the more comfortable and confident you'll normally do in an interview situation. Absolutely. And there was something you said there about um, there's no silver bullet when it comes to Mm. providing advice for applicants. And I think that resonates with me whenever I try to mentor a student or to review an application in that, you know, recruiters look for a wide variety of skills and interests when it comes to the application process. And the advice that you would give to someone is almost dependent on their own situation and what areas they want to improve on and their current strengths and so on. But let's take a really kind of common aspect of the any application process, even outside of law, just for a graduate role generally, which is, you know, the cover letter or the written application part. Mm. What were the, I guess, quote unquote, better applications that you read in your role? Um, what were they doing when it came to that written application process mm. that made you go, oh, well, I think this is someone that we really want to extend an interview and invite to? Yeah, I think with um, applications, whether it's a written application form or a a CV and cover letter, a big thing is just trying to get across your unique strengths or personality a little bit. Mm. Again, I'm I'm very often asked, you know, what do I need to say? What what are the buzzwords? What what Mm. do I need to get in there? And I think sometimes the more you try and second guess and the more you try and predict what a quote unquote good application looks like, the further away from yourself you you get and and as everyone knows recruiters see tons of applications and there really isn't a formula for standing out I think you need to know the firm really well but I also think you need to know yourself really well and be able to articulate 
and bring to life your strengths, your skills, your passion and your motivation in whatever way feels genuine to you. So again, a really common question about applications is, well, how do I get across my passion and motivation for the firm? And there really isn't a formula for that. And and you don't need to say what everyone else is saying. Likewise, mm-hmm. you also don't need to come up with the most original answer in the world that no one else has ever said. You know, you need to be specific about what appeals to you. So you need to be quite specific around whatever it is that your motivations genuinely are. But I think the more honest, the more authentic and the more genuine you can be about what specifically interests you and why and link that back to yourself um you know be that linking to something you've done in your studies or a hobby or um just something in particular that really piqued your interest when you learned about it i think the best applications are those that are personal and genuine and Mm -hmm. really tell a story in a convincing compelling way about you and your motivation that's really interesting. And I guess, Jake, uh, you and I, for you and I, those are the kind of things that we were trying to do when we were going through the application process. So how did you take all of the lessons that you learned when it came to, um, you know, going through that process and eventually going into practice and, and distilling it into the commercial law handbook, which you eventually wrote? And I still have a copy of actually from a law fair that I picked up in 2016. So what was your what was your kind of thinking behind that process? And, and how did you kind of distill everything you'd learned into into that book? Sure. Well, I mean, the commercial law handbook, it kind of happened by accident. I had set mm-hmm. up a society at university and wanted to create a useful resource um, because I'd been to maybe a dozen open days, done five internships and been to countless presentations on different elements of the kind of commercial process of interviews. I just mm-hmm. had pages and pages of notes because um, that's how I organised my thoughts and that's how I sort of studied for interviews almost as if they were exams. So mm-hmm. I collated all of those resources and, and just turned it into something I was giving out for free to to members of that society. It was only when feedback from that was really great and students seemed to find it really helpful that I then turned it into something kind of <laughs> that was slightly more publishable. Mm. And, um, and at that point, it was kind of going back through, verifying everything, plugging in more of the gaps. But I think it was just getting a feel for what what I was afraid of when it when coming up to commercial law interviews and the commercial awareness aspect in particular mm. um, and figuring out how I could draw out those elements um, and give students a bit more of a focused approach to to their preparation um, but yeah I mean it was all stuff I'd learned from other people absolutely and as someone who eventually used that handbook to help them in my applications I can't thank you enough for putting a resource like that together um, and it's things like that that kind of inspire me to to sort of pass it on through um, the mentoring and, and this podcast and things that I do now This episode of the Morphin Law Podcast is sponsored by The Legist. Looking to find your next role or find the right employee? The Legist full-service online platform can help. By using smart technology to keep the recruitment process as simple and transparent as it can be, you can filter opportunities not just by location and role, but by practice area, PQE level, employee benefits, and many other factors. If you're looking to hire, accompany job listings with pre-interview questions, categorize them effectively, and have a live listing in minutes. You can advertise all your legal vacancies with Legis at www.thelegis.co.uk, also offering free job listings for legal intern, volunteer, and training contract positions. As someone who went through that process and eventually, I guess, learned the lessons necessary to, to write a resource like that, um, how did your experiences and, and the kind of things that you learned differ slightly from what Hannah was talking about when it came to the things that uh, she's kind of seen on the other side of the application process? How was your sort of de- se- um, 
journey of kind of self-realization, self-development when it came to how to write an application, what was your main bits of advice that you'd give to candidates? Sure. I mean, I guess some of it is the benefit of hindsight. Um, mm. I mean, you develop more throughout the RPC and your training contract. You just become a bit better at writing, structuring thoughts and points. So I could probably look back at my old applications now and absolutely tear them to pieces. But, um, <laughs> you know, in, my, uh, but in my final year of university and beyond, I've looked at hundreds, potentially thousands of applications. And when you're looking at an application that somebody else has written and you're coming to it fresh, it's easier to pick up on, on issues than mm. if you're reading your own applications because sometimes... You naturally read what you think you've written or what you intended to write rather than what's actually on the page. So I guess just time and, and hindsight and learning has really helped. Um, in ter- I mean, similar to Hannah, it's really difficult to bring out two or three key points that make all the difference. But hmm. if I was to go through a few things, I think a lot of people think about spelling and grammar and word check and that's that's the be all and end all but actually structure is a really huge issue that I come across in, in lots of early applications because mm-hmm. even if an application is really well written if the structure isn't there it can be difficult to demonstrate that you're answering the question it can be difficult for someone to follow um, especially if they've only got a few minutes to skim over a lot of content mm-hmm. so what I say to students is when you start writing and writing an answer even if it's just a kind of 300 word answer stick in headings anyway write the answer with those headings in place so your structure naturally forms and then you can delete the headings before you send it off but that can be quite an easy way to fix that um, answering the question is another big one I mean I read lots of answers around career motivation or firm motivation where students talk in detail about what they've done their internships their experiences but don't actually explain how these inform their decision to pursue the career or, or how these motivated them um, so looking but looking at an answer and thinking, I've got 300 words to explain why I want to be a commercial lawyer, you've got to make sure the vast proportion of that is drawing out the elements of the career that you really liked rather than just relaying the fact you've done it. Mm. Um, talking about, I guess, relaying answers, it's also it's relaying answers back to yourself. So when firms say they don't want generic answers or they want answers that are credible and genuine, um, by drawing on your own personal experiences, this can really help. So you know, one example might be, Rather than just saying, okay, I want to be a commercial lawyer because there's unique and interesting work on offer or the intellectual challenge. You know, lots of people mm. make that point. Yeah. But then tying this into your career and saying, and this this kind of unique, interesting work suggests a career will remain, I don't know, dynamic, varied, stimulating. You kind of take it a step further. Um, and if you can take it one step further than that, that'd be even better. You could say, you know, the reason I want to work in a dynamic, stimulating, high-pressured environment is because I've particularly enjoyed working in these conditions in the past. That could be mm. through a group project, it could be through a work experience. But you're showing you've really thought about what it means and you're evidencing that you you personally thrive in that kind of environment. And I think a lot of people don't go far enough to to demonstrate that kind of personal experience has really informed what they want to do. And I think just just to add to that, with the structure thing, I think that is something that's really applicable in, in other elements of the process as well. So as well as structure being really important in your application form questions, it's also important um, in interview answers. So mm. it, it doesn't mean that you have to have a totally rigid structure, but almost being clear around for this type of question, I want to use this structure or or uh, when I'm asked about my motivation, I want to use this type of structure can be mm. really helpful. And the same for written exercises at assessment centres. It's very typical for candidates to think, I've not got much time, I'd better start writing my report or writing my answer straight away. 
Whereas taking time at the start to really plan out your structure in advance really, really does help so that you don't end up losing your way, rambling or, or just, you know, putting too much in. Because I think it really needs to be good quality, whatever you are saying or writing, rather than um, lots of uh, quantity. Absolutely. Some fantastic tips there with regards to the answering of the application process in, you know, in person and on the written one. Um, but outside of the, uh, you know, um, written side of things, what is it that you think is important in terms from a skills perspective? And I think a lot of candidates or students that I talk to always think that they need, you know, legal work experience in a law firm in order to talk about what being a lawyer is actually like whereas in reality it's talking about kind of the transferable skills and relating your experiences to um, your motivations that are quite important so what would you say are the kind of key skills and, and kind of key ways that you know you can bring in these non-law experiences and relate them to uh, an application sure and um, i mean the, i think you've hit the nail on the head there one of the points i try and make in the presentations i deliver is that anything can be relevant and a lot of students think if their if their work experience doesn't involve being in an office wearing formal clothing doing some kind of commercial work it's irrelevant but mm -hmm. just given the nature of my background and the fact that there was there was no law in that background um when i kicked off this process um, anything can be. I mean, in my life, I've worked in catering. I've been a bin man at festivals, postman, trolley boy at supermarket. I've worked on a building site. And I originally thought none of this is relevant because it, it couldn't relate. It just doesn't relate to what firms are doing. But once I built up the confidence to talk about some of these experiences, it actually helped me to find common ground, even with very senior people at firms that had had similar experiences when they were younger. I mean, if you've had those kind of jobs since you were 17, 18, whatever age, it shows that you've got work ethic instilled in you, you're a self-starter, you're independent, you've got client-facing skills, you've committed to something in the long term, you can be organized. Um, so I think when you are kind of drawing out skills and experiences, be that for motivation or for competencies or for strengths, um, it's worth students broadening their mindset when it comes to what they can they can draw upon. Mm, absolutely. I think very often when I have conversations with people wanting to apply for training contracts, they feel very upset if they haven't got any specific legal work experience. And mm. I always say it's great if you have, but actually sometimes the... Um, Sometimes the skills that you develop and actually what you learn, you actually learn from much more practical hands-on things where you do it for a longer period of time, when you're being paid for it, you know, that kind of thing. So mm. whether that is working as a waitress, whether that is working in a shop or whether it's a, a regular voluntary position that you have responsibilities for, being responsible and committed for something over a period of time can really demonstrate your commitment and can really help you learn about some of the common skills that people look for, whether that's leadership, whether it's initiative, whether it's client service. I mean, people often forget that if they're working in a busy restaurant as a waiter or waitress, you have a client facing role and you probably have to deal with fast paced environment and mm. sometimes customers not being very happy. And if you can talk about a time when you dealt with a difficult customer or had to deal with a complaint from a customer or or anything like that, you can talk about that in an interview as a as a way to demonstrate your your passion for client service. So I think really be aware of different contexts when you've developed skills. They don't need to be already in that professional corporate environment. 
Mm. Absolutely. And that also speaks to the idea of the competency interviews as well, about telling us the time that you did this and this. And yeah, it echoes what I tried to say as well, is that the non-legal experiences can be just as important as the legal ones sometimes. I, I remember in my interview, I was I was kind of asked about basketball for 20 minutes at the end of my partner interview, which kind of really mm-hmm. took me aside. But it was about getting down to the, the detail of teamwork and all the kind of extracurricular activities and things that, mm-hmm. that I was doing. So um, I guess if you're, a, if you're a candidate going into the process and you feel like, okay, I've got these got these experiences and I've got some of these skills that they're talking about and I'm there in the interview room. What did you find was the best way to actually relate that to what the firm was doing and to, I guess, structure your answer when it came to talking about something like basketball in a way which is actually relevant and re- relatable to you know, a corporate trainee role? Mm, I think what what is most important is and, and Jake's already mentioned this, is answering the specific question being asked. Mm. You know, whether they are asking about uh, leadership, whether they're asking about commercial awareness, whether they're asking about another skill or indeed your motivation, you need to be really careful that you are answering that question. I would actually say that don't always feel like you need to, in every single answer, link it back to the firm if they're not mm. asking you about that. I think some, um, obviously, if they're asking you about your motivation for the firm or why you've applied there, that's one thing. But if they're asking you a specific question about leadership or client service or things like that, they want to know about you and your experience. So I actually think sometimes you can waste a bit of time in an answer if you're almost artificially trying to link it back to the firm when they haven't Mm. necessarily asked that. So I think it's really important to listen to the specific question, use the language back. So um, whatever wording they put in the question, try and use that back in your answer to to apply it. Um, and I think really what is helpful is to have a wide range of different examples and try and have multiple stories that you could tell. So, for example, some people say, oh, I have one example for leadership and I have one example for working in a team. Whereas actually a company might ask you about working in a team in multiple contexts or they might ask you about a time you um, demonstrated leadership working in a challenging environment. You know, so they might ask them quite specific Mm -hmm. questions. And so I think almost coming up with a wide range of answers, almost like a suite, so that you can then select which answer you want to in the moment rather than almost pre-allocating um, kind of off-the-shelf uh, stories don't mm. necessarily pr- allocate them to a competency um, just know your examples know your projects know your achievements and then depending on what they ask you then try and in the moment select one that you think is most relevant and most applicable and your your basketball example reminded me of, of one of my interviews where um, they, they had my, my application and they started the interview by saying something like oh you attended a study program in India Tell me about that. So the focus was solely on the experience rather than particular competency or strength. And I I think in those situations, it's much better to show how kind of committed and engaged you were, how passionate you were by Mm. talking about the the details um, rather than trying to, as as Hannah said, artificially tie that into something. I mean, they can draw conclusions about your character by the way you talk about it. If you become enthusiastic and you light up and you remember all the details, even if it was a couple of years ago, um, it shows that you really cared about that experience. And I think a good way to prepare for that is to is for students to have a version of their CV where they have the kind of 
one or two lines about each experience on there and create a version with footnotes where they write down every single detail um, and every element they can think of about all of those experiences and just have a read through that on the morning of an interview so they can then talk about it passionately because you do forget things. So, I mean, my example was for my study India example, I, I had footnotes and in those footnotes I'd written down the names of the people that gave us seminars and spoke to us, the topics that were covered, the cultural experiences we had and the... Um, um, the areas we visited, I wrote some notes about a brief internship that was included as, as part of it. And I think if I hadn't done that, I would have found it much more difficult to talk for 20 minutes about the experience, given how historic it was by the time I was being interviewed. Yeah, that's a really great tip. And it, it also speaks to some of the wisdom I try to impart is that, you know, say a partner is reviewing your application, they, they're busy people. And ultimately, they're not going to have a lot of time to go through and, you know, dissect things in detail. So you've got to expect those kind of follow up questions, asking for more detail. And that's a great way to, to deal with that. Jake. That's a really good tip. So we've talked a bit about this episode on kind of what applications are all about and you know what the, what the sort of key skills and things that, that students need to keep in mind when they're going through this process. But I think often a lot of the conversation is so focused on getting a training contract and you know getting to that end goal of a vacation scheme or something like that. There's actually a lack of understanding as to what training contracts are all about and the kind of differences that you face between studying law at university and actually putting it into practice and advising clients. So I was just interested to hear both of your thoughts on that in terms of you know, clarifying what training contracts are all about and, and the differences that students can expect between where they are now and where they will be when they're, when they're practicing law. Sure. I mean, I think a lot of it really does involve learning on the job. I mean, the LPC can be useful for learning some of the key terminology, getting a basic understanding of what some of the key documents are. Um, but really, the main skills you need in a training contract, it's project management. Um, it's an ability to remain enthusiastic and see the learning opportunity in everything you're given uh, because that can show that you're a good team player um, and just being very reliable, very responsive and, and accurate. And actually, it's not always the, the work that's really difficult during a training contract. It's, it's learning to manage all those different competing responsibilities for a broad variety of supervisors who may have different preferences. Mm. Um, and, and that means that communication is also really key. So although you can't teach those kind of soft skills fully, um, in an academic sense before you join. Um, I think the foundations of what you learn in a, in a degree in terms of writing, structuring, researching, um, being accurate, meeting your deadlines, that stuff is really helpful. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the practical stuff you do kind of pick up when you start. Mm, I would agree. I think as much as we encourage people to um, research uh, roles, research companies, uh, and there is a lot of information out there. It's very, very difficult to know what a role will actually be like in reality until you join. Mm. But I think having the right attitude and the right qualities is helpful because it, it sets you up for success and means hopefully you'll hit the ground running with with learning. I think that as well as everything Jake mentioned, I mean, it's it's talked about a lot, but I really think resilience is one of those skills and strengths that is so important. Um, mm. I think that... Very often, trainees are high performers. They've come from very, um, you know, they've, they've done, they've performed well academically. And the reality of joining any corporate role is there will be lots of learning. You will make mistakes. You will get things wrong, and some things might take you a little bit longer than others to learn. 
But I think if you are able to really process any feedback, learn from mistakes and, and use it as leverage to move forward and to grow and to develop, that is a really, really positive thing. And so I think that the more um, the more we talk about it and the more people are when they fail or indeed when they get rejected, the more they're able to take learning from that, process it uh, and self-improve if, if need be the better equipped they are for, for being resilient and, and, and settling in well in the, in, on the job. Absolutely, some fantastic insight there. And one of the main reasons I wanted to get you both on the show was because um, very excitingly, you two have actually entered into a joint venture together to launch this um, you know, coaching program for students. So what was the kind of inspiration behind that in terms of how you two came together and formulated it? And what is the kind of background as to what it's all about and the goals that it's trying to help candidates with? Mm. So I've been a career coach for about three years now, and mm. I offer a, a bit of a mixture of services. So with some, it's um, helping them work out what career they want if they are if they're in a job and they're not happy. With other people that I work with, they are graduates or students, sometimes paralegals, wanting to get a permanent training contract position. Mm. Um, and I do a bit of a mixture of stuff with them or I did a bit of a mixture of stuff with them in terms of mock interviews, feedback on CVs, feedback on application forms. Mm. And basically, I've, I've known Jake for a number of years. So we met the first time back when I was working at a and We were big fans of the uh, all of his handbooks. Um, <laughs> and basically, I just realised that as much as my experience and my um yeah my background really is on the recruitment side of things i think that jake's got great experience in terms of actually being a lawyer um yeah. and obviously with 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 the writing and uh, of all of his books so we partnered up kind of unofficially probably about a year ago and then we've made it a little bit more um official in recent months by having an actual joint program whereby mm. anyone that we work with, we, we work one-to-one -one with them separately on all different areas of um, applications. So one thing that I would say and that I always say to people that are potentially interested, we don't do the work for you. You know, we don't mm. write applications. We don't tell you what to say interview. But what we do is use our experience and our insights to, um, to raise your confidence, to mm. um, create action plans, um, and to really give insights um, and and feedback to help you perform at your best, hopefully in recruitment processes. And um, that's a bit of a, a whistle stop summary, Jake. I don't know if you want to add <laughs> add anything. Yeah, I think I mean I started coaching, I guess, indirectly through the books, and then that led to me um, working quite closely with Bright Network to give in person presentations and deliver workshops for students and. I really enjoyed that personal element. So it was quite a natural transition for me to want to work more closely with students on a one-to-one -one basis, um, really helping them to understand their strengths and motivations and articulate those. And mm -hmm. as Hannah mentioned, we've been working together for, for a while on a book. And I think it just made sense. It was a really unique perspective that students could access having somebody that had been through the process and qualified as a lawyer and also having the perspective of you know, graduate recruiter at a at a world leading firm. So we we just kind of put that together, came up with a came up with a plan of everything that we both thought needed to be covered, um, and took it from there. And it's been great fun so far. No, fantastic. And um, it sounds like such a, a a brilliant combo to have of the recruiter and the lawyer who's been through it all together to to offer that. 
so just to, to move towards a close here, you've both provided some amazing advice throughout the episode, but if you had to leave listeners with some top tips that they can take away, be it into a training contract application or even a trading contract itself, what would they be? So I would say, firstly, don't be competitive with other trainees. You, you don't need to be. I think mm. if you build a really good base of solid friendships with other trainees, that can be so helpful when it comes to the times where you need a bit of support, or you need a bit of advice, or you might be moving into a team where one of those trainees has already spent three or six months. So um, you, you don't need to feel as if you're competing with everybody. Mm. That can really backfire. Um, my next tip would be to, to really keep an open mind. The, the reality is you might... Well, you'll probably receive quite a lot of fairly administrative work, whether that's filing, keeping records, coordinating um, local council or other internal teams. Um, but if you try to see the learning opportunity in everything you do, it will help you to realise that actually, if the first time you're working on a matter, your task is fairly administrative, it gives you a great chance to, to kind of not screw it up and to do well, mm. whilst also giving you exposure to the documents and the concepts that you'll really need to get to grips with if, as you become more senior, you're given a more substantial role um, on a similar matter. Um, when it comes to hours, I know people don't like to ask about hours or to really talk about hours, and obviously mm. it varies from firm to firm, but... What I would say is you, you, it's very unlikely that you're going to be working silly hours nonstop for months on end. I mean, it's just human nature. You're not going to be delivering your best work if that happens. You might have a, a really busy period leading up to a specific deadline. But you know, my biggest worry was I was going to work 100 weekends in a row over my training contract and I'd never mm. be leaving the office before midnight. And that's just not the case. Um, the, real, the real sacrifice you make, it's more about the uncertainty. You never know really that you're going to be free until you're out the door. And even then, emails might come in or you might get called back in. So don't expect it to be constant and relentless, um, but just be aware of the fact that work needs to be the priority a lot of the time. And, uh, and there is that uncertainty there. Mm. And tying into that, annual leave is incredibly important. And firms really encourage you to take all of it or to carry some over if you, if you don't have the opportunity to take it all. But make sure you do take those breaks because the more refreshed you are, um, the more likely it is that you will approach the work naturally with more enthusiasm um, and, and just do a better job. So do be mindful of taking, taking those breaks and making sure you get enough sleep um, and, and performing the best you can. So I think if I were to cover two final tips or two really important things to think about, the first one would be around application strategy. So very often Jake and I get asked how many firms should I apply to, you know, when should I apply, How? what's the magic number? And I, as frustrating an answer as is, there isn't, a, you know, a magic number. But I generally think what is most important is that you do plan where you're going to apply and when. So having an application tracker can be helpful. So having an Excel spreadsheet with all the firms you want to apply to, along with their deadlines and your target submission date. Um, I think where we see people get really fed up and, and not do so well is when they take a bit of a scattergun approach. They think I'll apply to as many as possible. You know, I'll try and apply to 10 in one day. And, and all that ends up doing is that they're stretched too thin. They get stressed yeah. out. And more often than not, they get rejections because they're not tailoring their applications. So mm. it's not sensible to just apply to one or two firms. You need to not put all of your eggs in one basket. But I think how many firms is right for you depends on how much time you have, um, how mm. much free time you have to dedicate to this. But I think whatever your number is, having a clear plan around when you're going to apply, uh, where you're going to apply, and almost 
block out time in order to make sure that those deadlines happen. And the other thing that I would just say is around rejection and, and motivation, which is something that so many people struggle with in terms of, mm. you know, getting rejections and, and keeping going. And what I would say is that it's it's really, really common to, to feel fed up after you've been rejected and to, mm. to feel like you want to give up. But I really do believe that the more committed you are, the more determined you are, the more likely you are to succeed. And I think by all means, process rejection, try and learn from it. But you have to almost try and shift your mindset away from past negative to future positive. And when I say future positive, I don't necessarily mean pretending that everything's wonderful and everything's brilliant, but it's more around proactive action. So yes, you might have been rejected in the past. Yes, you might have just failed at a couple of things. But by turning your attention away towards the future in terms of what are you going to do next? What do you want to focus on? What is your action plan? It, it can really help momentum. And I just think that there are lots of highs and lows in applying for training contracts. So try not to see any any failure or any rejection as final. It is all just part of the process. Um, and I think that it's, yeah, I think it's just, it's really hard to go through at the time, but the more that you can keep focused on the future and learning and keeping going, the, the better your chances are. Thanks so, so much for both of you for coming on. Where can people go more to learn more about yourselves and the coaching programme you provide? So the best thing to do if you want to know more about the programme and more about me and Jake, um, first of all, connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, mm -hmm. We always love it when people personalise their uh, requests. So <laughs> do uh, say hello and add us on LinkedIn. Um, there is more information on my website, hannahsalton.co.uk, but actually you can just drop me an email um, or message me on LinkedIn saying that you want a bit more information and I can share full details of the programme on that. Hannah's covered that beautifully. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. But yeah, no, Hannah, Hannah normally speaks to people um, first, kind of gets an understanding of um, where they're at, and then we, we work together to figure out the best kind of bespoke plan, depending on where they're at in the process. I actually, one thing that I just wanted to add is um, mm. there's there's so much great free information out there, and I know mm. that they, it can sometimes feel a bit like information overload, but mm. um, obviously Jake and I, well, on my website, I have a blog where I've written a lot about common interview mistakes, video interviews, um, imposter syndrome, um, how to talk about work experience on applications and I know that there's some great content on Jake's City Career Series websites as well so um, for those just wanting to find out a little bit more I would definitely recommend having a look at both of our websites because there's quite a lot of free advice and insights on there just for, for everyone as well. Absolutely fantastic and I'm sure that many students will find those useful um, so thanks so much for coming on the show I really really appreciate it. No worries it was really great thanks Harry. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the More From Law podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and want to support the show, please share it with your network and leave a review on the iTunes store. It's really appreciated. If you want to stay up to date on the show, follow and subscribe to the More From Law podcast on your podcast platform of choice or follow me on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at the profile Harry Clark Law. See you in the next episode.